Let's all pray together. Great God, you appear to Moses in a burning bush that was not consumed, thereby manifesting your glory to him in an unmistakable way. Lord, I don't mind if you set me on fire. Just don't consume me, please. But I do ask that whatever means you need this morning to make your presence known to each and every person, to manifest your glory in such a way that gets our attention and draws us to you like moths to a flame. Please, dear God, will you do that to honor your glory and exemplify your grace and to exalt the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So we ask this for his name's sake. Amen. Here's a picture of my grandfather, taken in 1950, I believe. He's 80 years old in that picture. He's been a missionary for 50 years. He left Germany 50 years previously. Was the first Lutheran to go into Zimbabwe. Had to leave Zimbabwe two years later because of Matabili Rebellion, which threatened the lives of all Europeans. He settled in the northern parts of South Africa, and for 50 years he served in a very remote place, three days ox wagon trip into the nearest town. Uh, lost three children in infancy, uh, bore hardship, planted churches, made the name of Christ known, lived the gospel, and here he is now at age 80, feeling I've done my, run, run my race, I'm looking forward to retirement and ultimately the Lord calling me home. How do you think he would have felt if uh, the next day God laid his hand on his shoulder and said to him, Carl, you know what, I want you to do it all over again. You can imagine the dismay. This is exactly what happened to Moses. And uh, let's read the story then in the scriptures. Uh, what I've done is I've left a column down the side here. So I want you to read the scriptures if it was a template. And you take the details of your own life and you can fit them into the template so that you connect directly with the scripture. And uh, you will find your story written in the right-hand column in one way or another. Some details may be different. Many details will register with you very powerfully. But the entire story will come to you in a, a beautiful and a fresh way. And so let us read from Acts chapter 7, the preaching of Stephen just before he was martyred. Right after this sermon... Uh, encouraged by the Apostle Paul, the speaker was stoned to death for his faith. So that'll add something to your appreciation of his speaking here. As the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham to free his descendants from slavery, the Jewish people greatly multiplied in Egypt but their king was crowned, but then a king was crowned who had no respect for Joseph's memory. This king, against our race, 
forced parents to abandon their children in the fields. About that time, Moses was born, a child of divine beauty. His parents hid him at home for three months. But when at last they could no longer keep him hidden, they had to abandon him. Pharaoh's daughter found him and adopted him as her own son and taught him all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he became a mighty prince and orator. One day as he was nearing his 40th birthday, it came into his mind to visit his brothers, the people of Israel. During this visit, he saw an Egyptian mistreating a man of Israel. So Moses killed the Egyptian. Moses supposed his brothers would realize that God had sent him to help them. But they didn't. The next day, he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Gentlemen, he said, you are brothers and shouldn't be fighting like this. It's wrong. But the man in the wrong told Moses, mind your own business. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? At this, Moses fled the country and lived in the land of Midian, where his two sons were born. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush. Moses saw it and wondered what it was. And as he ran to see it, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses shook with terror, dared not look. And the Lord said to him, Take off your shoes, for you are standing on holy ground. I have seen the anguish of my people in Egypt, have heard their cries. I have come down to deliver them. Come, I will send you to Egypt. Now we pick up details from the Old Testament. And here's a little bit added for our instruction. Uh, one day as Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, out at the edge of the desert near Horeb, the mountain of God, suddenly the angel of Jehovah appeared to him as a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw that the bush was on fire, then it didn't burn up, he went over to investigate. Then God called out to him, Moses, Moses, who is it? Moses asked. Don't come any closer, God told him. Take off your shoes, for you are standing on holy ground I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses covered his face with his hands, for he was afraid to look at God. 
Then the Lord told him, I have seen the deep sorrows of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their pleas for freedom from their harsh taskmasters. I have come to deliver them from the Egyptians and to take them out of Egypt into a good land, a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Yea, God, go for it, Moses thought. That's called a gloss. <laughs> yes, the wail of the people of Israel has risen to me in heaven, and I have seen the heavy tasks the Egyptians have oppressed them with. Now I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to demand that he let you let, let my people out of Egypt. I'm not the person for a job like that, Moses exclaimed. Gloss, you must be kidding. Then God told him, I will certainly be with you, and this is proof that I am the one who is sending you. When you have led the people out of Egypt, led the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God here upon this very mountain. But Moses asked, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them that their father's God has sent me, they will ask, which God are you talking about? What shall I tell them? The sovereign God was the reply. Just say, I am has sent me. And that's the Hebrew word for I am. Yes, tell them, Jehovah, the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name to be used throughout all generations. Oh, may God bless our meditations in his word this morning. So here is Moses, really scared scared that this God that he knows as the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything that dwells in it, this God who is so majestic and holy, now drawing him into his presence is going to consume him. That now God was going to give him a commission that would wreck the rest of his life. And his life from now being peaceful and ordered and just dealing with the odd obstinate sheep and maybe driving off a bear or a wolf or a lion, uh, now he's got to go back into the courts of Pharaoh and pick up threads that he's lost long ago. And what God conveys certainly as part of the many-layered message of this burning bush is that God is saying to Moses, I am going to manifest my glory in you, but like the bush, you will not be consumed. You will rather take that glory and it will become something that you are going to participate in. And far from consuming you, it will make you blaze with beauty. The beauty of my purpose, not just for you, Moses, but for my people. And Moses still put up a fight, thinking one thing and then another. 
Lord, in case you haven't noticed, I think he said holding his hip, I'm 80 years old. Can't you just leave me alone? And then, Lord, Egypt, didn't you know I'm a wanted man? Dead or alive, they want me back there. And there's an army in Egypt, God, and these are slaves who've got no socialization at all. You want me to get them out of Egypt? You've got to be kidding. And by the way, in case you hadn't noticed God, you, you notice how we sort of make suggestions in our prayers, as if God needs our suggestions. Uh, it's been said that... Um, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. But I think if you want to make God hysterical with laughter, make suggestions to him. <laughs> Look where we've got to go, God. Uh, this happens to be a bit stark, and I don't see much water there. And there's a little matter of feeding five million people every day. Surely, God, you, you're not serious. And... I think that this morning, as God is speaking to your heart, you've got your own list of objections, and you are saying, who me? It's not possible. And then I think the suggestions, God, you know, the, the other things you could do, um, maybe the Babylonians could conquer Egypt and let the Israelites go. That sounds much more feasible somehow. Or, um, you know, maybe, maybe you could change Pharaoh's heart and, and that would be much easier, sort of, can't, can't I just go on tending my sheep? Can't you just leave me alone? And God has got an amazing solution for all your hesitation and obstinacy. And whether you're four years old or 80 years old or 94 years old, God's coming to you in exactly the same way this morning, saying to you, whoever you are, I've got a purpose for your life. I, I'm going to commission you. I've got something big for you to do. And you're saying, well, you know, I've got my life sort of settled, and I don't know if I want what you're offering me. And there are all these objections. So God overcomes them in a very simple and profound way. He reveals his name. And those are the Hebrew letters. Uh, you read Hebrew back to front. So this is the first letter in the word. It's a Y. The second one is an H. That's a W. And that's another H. You can see those two are the same. So reading it back to front, it's the four letters, Y, H, W, H. And it is God revealing his personal name. He is reaching out to Moses and saying, you've known me as the majestic God of glory, but this is my name. Call me Yahweh. And so it's been, <coughs> it's come down to us, uh, the old Bibles use the word Jehovah. You can see that Y could be a J, ho W-A-H, Yahweh, Jehovah, the same name, the same word in the Hebrew Bible. And 
I am going to befriend you, Moses, so that all your objections actually have a very simple solution. If I am with you, then nothing else matters because I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to lead you, I'm going to guide, I'm going to take care of things. And that's what proved to be the case. You remember the water in the wilderness? You remember the manna from heaven that fed the five million? Every morning they got up, and on a Friday morning there was twice the amount so that they could take their Sabbath rest seriously. And this personal God then reaches out through the sacred text to us this morning, and he says, I don't just want to be God to you. I don't just want you to have a sense that, you know, there's someone out there, rather remote, maybe like the Milky Way, and it's actually fabulous. I want to be your friend. And here's my name, by the way. And it's like going to court, maybe. Maybe you know the judge personally, and you're either being accused or you're a witness. And you don't walk to the stand and say, so how's it going today, Joe, to the judge? <laughs> There's a respect there. And you say, well, your honor and uh, your lord, maybe, or whatever you, you use in the, the courtroom. And that same respectfulness is behind this whole thing. And what happened was that the scribes who transcribed the Bible... And it was transcribed many times. Remember, it had to be done by hand. They didn't want to write the holy name of God's personal name. And so instead, they used this acronym, the Lord. So when you're reading your Bible and you see the words, the Lord, in capital letters, it's actually the personal name of God. Because he said, this will be my name for all generations. You remember that in the scripture reading? And what does that mean? It means very simply, it's the verb to be, which you can say is I am or I was or I will be, I always have been. It's the verb of being, I'm the presence in the universe I've always been, I will always be, beginning and end, and then more than that. All of that is what I am. And he was telling Moses, you know, Moses, your history is very interesting. You should not have survived infancy, but I am. I was there overseeing that. I'm the one who got you adopted, really. There was this human agency, um, Pharaoh's daughter. There was a bit of subterfuge there, if you read on. Uh, she found you, but you, you were put there by your mom. But I was the one who was behind it. And your 40 years in the courts of Pharaoh, that was my plan for you. Uh, you screwed it up a bit there, didn't you, Moses, when you murdered that Egyptian? You've, you've made me wait 40 years to do this. We could maybe have got it done there and then. But... I am, I, I'm in that history. And now, Moses, I am, I am part of this future that I'm outlining for you. And you don't have to be scared. In fact, you should be excited because, look, I'm putting my 
hand on your shoulder and we're going to do this together. I am and I am in your future as much as I was in your past. I always will be and I will always am and I don't know, you can go on and on playing with that endlessly because it's so interesting, fascinating and real. So I had a bit of fun. It occurred to me, I wonder how often those four letters appear in that form throughout the Hebrew Old Testament. And I've asked some friends. One of them said he thought maybe twice in the whole Old Testament. And another one said, no, probably three times. Uh, somebody said, hmm, maybe 200. I myself thought probably about 500. You know, there are 39 books, maybe 10 or 11 times in each book, about 500. Do you know how many times it appears in the pages of the Old Testament? 5,496 times. The personal name of God is the reason why the Old Testament was written because He is the I Am developing the story. The personal of God is alive throughout that entire history. And I can say it of you, the person of a God has been alive throughout your entire history. He brought you to this service today in His plan. What does it mean? How, how do we wrap our minds around it? I remember about the time that photograph was taken, I lived in a neighborhood in 1950, six years after, five years after the conclusion of the war, English speakers and Dutch speakers in South Africa still had great tensions between them. And in my neighborhood, I was about six then, um, there were two red-headed twins who spoke Dutch who were just looking to find me, to beat me up. And one day I walked into the park and coming towards me down the path are these two, uh, these two boys. And you could see the menace described in their every gesture. They were relishing the moment that they would get their hands on me. And I started thinking things like, why didn't I take karate? And why haven't I got some boxing skills? And I wonder if I can outrun them. And all these thoughts of terror going through my mind. And then they stopped and looked a bit bewildered and surprised. And then they shuffled a bit. And then they turned around and they, they walked off. And I thought, well, I'm more menacing than I thought. <laughs> and at that moment, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I turned around. And there was my older brother who would have fixed them in no time. And that's like the story of our lives. We face life and we've got these suggestions and if-onlys and the shame we sang about in our worship and all the other things. And we're scared of the future. And there's the older brother. Only his name is Yahweh. And he's putting his hand on your shoulder to say, Let's be friends. Let's do life together. Now the sermon continues in the communion. And if you're a visitor, you will notice that we have our children with us this summer in church. And isn't that fabulous? 
Yes. So we're going to explain communion as part of the sermon because how do I respond to God's friendship? And really, the communion is the most profound way of saying, yes, God, <laughs> I, uh, I'm accepting your friendship and it's so real to me that, um, that I can actually taste it. And it's going to energize me like a, an energizing drink. So for the children, and I must say that parents, you're going to have to be in charge of your children. Make sure that there's an adult within range of each of your children. You may have to change your places. And you will know whether they should take communion today or not. And if you would please exercise your own judgment in this, you may need to say to them, wow, this is so important. Let's talk more about it at home. Or if you can answer the questions which I'm going to give you, then you may be able to say, um, uh, yes, you may take today. And I'm going to explain a little bit about what it means. So if we go back to the previous slide... Uh, this is me. Go on. That's me. Stop it. You're not allowed to laugh. <laughs> I didn't have teeth for about six years. I was just, there's something went wrong with my teeth. My, but this is my grandmother, and I, I sent this picture to my sister there, and I said, hey, do you remember this? And then we, we had the greatest time laughing and remembering and thinking about this wonderful woman who every morning brought us coffee straight off the stove with fresh baked cookies and then there was the smell of bread and we played in a dam with a windmill uh, and we enjoyed the sun and every night we had delicious German cooked food and then she would come and tuck us into bed and kiss us and make us feel so secure and she would pray with us each one and we were all sharing a room and we got flashlights from her and we would play in the dark with the flashlights and my brother being about 12 years old decided he wanted to see what my sister looked like so he said why don't we all do a naked dance and we can do the flashlight thing on each other and we laughed like anything because you see I'm inside this picture and you're curious about it, but you're not inside of it. You don't have any of the memories and the, the joy and the laughter of that occasion. And so this table here in front of us is also a picture. Go on. And on the table there's bread and there's juice from grapes, grape juice. And it's a picture that's inviting you inside of itself. So you shouldn't do this just as a curiosity as an outsider because then you, the, the Bible says, uh, refrain from that because the meaning is lost on you and it's actually a rather dangerous thing because God is a consuming fire. Uh, and God invites you inside then and what you do is you say, here we go. The bread is broken the same way that the body of Jesus was broken on the cross. And the grapes are squeezed to make juice. And that red juice reminds us of blood. And Jesus shed his blood on the cross. And now when we eat the bread and we drink a little bit of juice, we are drawn into the events of the cross. And what you should be able to say is, when Jesus died... He died with me, 
being present, and he looked right at me and he said, you know all the wrong things you've done? Somebody should pay for that. And I'm paying for it right now. And when you drink the cup, you should think, wow, real blood flowed from Jesus' hands. And this crown of thorns, when they pushed it down on his head, blood poured all over his face and down his body. And then a soldier put a spear into his side. He was already dead by then because he... The soldier didn't kill him. He laid down his life. And the blood poured out of his body there. And we remember that blood. And Jesus said, this cup that we drink is the new covenant in my blood. A covenant is just a promise. God promised. Remember in the scripture reading, I am the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. God promised them, I'm going to bring your descendants into a promised land, and out of them will come the Messiah, or Jesus will come out of them. So I'm going to oversee their whole history, and you, Moses, are part of that oversight, but what I'm doing is I'm fulfilling my promise, and now God says, yeah, my promise to love you. We sang, oh, how he loves us this morning. And we know that love is very genuine and real because Jesus said, I'm going to guarantee that I love you, and you will see it when you drink the cup. So when you drink this morning, drink as an insider saying, thank you, Jesus, for your blood. It was shed to tell me and guarantee God's love to me. And you know what that moment was for Moses when God said, here's my name? Everything stood still. And for Moses in that moment... All of life made sense. All the jagged, ragged pieces and all the mystery of it, it all just fell off him and he had this magical moment. Everything belongs. God, you're so spectacular. At this moment, my life makes perfect sense. I don't know if it will in Egypt, in Pharaoh's presence. I don't know if it will then. But I can come back to this moment over and again. And I can sit and worship the God of the burning bush who does not consume. And so they're questions. And these are the ones that you should ask yourself. And you should confess these things as well as ask them. And if you think your children can answer these in the affirmative, then by all means encourage them to partake. And uh, if you can't answer them yourself, uh, then as I say, um, please speak to me or another pastor or one of the elders about your faith and your, your knowledge of, of the gospel your experience of the gospel. Do I know myself to be a sinful human being without hope of eternal life except for God's mercy in Christ? Do I believe that his body was broken in the place of mine and that his blood was shed for my sins? Has and is my heart being renewed by the Holy Spirit? Have I had that encounter with God or can I say that I can't actually date it, but is an ongoing process of encounter with God through the Holy Spirit, and I'm finding my life transformed. Do I determine to live a godly life 
That's the transforming part there. In the fellowship of the church, seeking the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to invite uh, about a minute of silence. And parents, you may want to just confer with your children and give them instruction and uh, oversee them at this point. And let's all of us, in the moment of silence, bring our lives to God Make this confession, Lord, I know myself to be a sinful human being. I know that you died in my place. You are renewing my heart. And I determine to live in fellowship with the Holy Spirit and in fellowship of the church to be empowered for my future in your plan. So let us pray together. And um, there may be a little bit of time when parents will be talking with children. Don't let that distract you. Just make your own confession and, and prepare your own self to enter into this photograph as an insider who says, I was there. I was there. Let us pray together.